0: In this episode, Larry Pruitt, a leader of Jim Cockrum's coaching team, will talk about his journey of building his own Amazon business. He went from quitting his day job to establishing his own Amazon business with his wife, Sue, and is now operating a warehouse and managing a team of staff. He has a buy box win percentage of over 40% and does a live sourcing demo during the interview and shares how he strategically advises his students using the repricer and tips on Amazon. You will benefit from learning with a master coach and applying it to your own business. If you wanna flatten your Amazon learning curve and get the most out of Bequel Repricer, this is the episode for you. Check it out. Welcome to the next Amazon top seller podcast. Stay updated with the latest Amazon news and learn the nitty gritty of selling on Amazon through B Cool's years of expertise in the Amazon world. I'm Samuel, and I am the host of this podcast, brought to you by the fantastic Amazon experts in b Cool. Let's start our journey to become the next Amazon top seller. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. We have a very special guest with us today. I'm Samuel from Be cool. We got Larry Pruitt has been working with Jim Cockrum for over a decade. He's now leader of one of their coaching teams with over 12 to 15 coaches. In this interview, we'll talk about some of the things that he faced when he started using his Amazon account and also some of the strategic tools that he used to grow his Amazon business. And Larry's been a full-time seller since 2013. He and his wife, they manage an account and they also have five kids and they've been doing this full-time for a very long time. They're experts in this. We welcome Larry to our show today. Welcome, Larry.
1: Thank you, Samuel. I appreciate the opportunity to be here tonight. So Larry,
0: you know, before we continue, I want to ask you a little bit about how did you get started in the e-commerce space? And specifically, why did you start your Amazon business?
1: Yeah, uh, we actually started selling on eBay originally in 2004. And it was very part-time. It was just to earn a little bit of extra income. Um, I literally would work on it in the evenings and weekends as much as I could. And, uh, and we were selling primarily books and we did learn very early on that if we could do replenishable books, that would be much easier than creating a new listing for every single item. So, uh, we actually started doing uh, kind of a replens model way back then. We just didn't know to call it that, but we got accounts with publishers. And so we had primarily a bookstore for quite a while but as amazon was growing they just dominated the book space so much that it became really complicated to sell books anymore unless you were getting some specialized used books and things so then we started transitioning over to amazon probably around 2011 something like that and we got very serious about it in 2012. my wife actually is the one who really started doing the uh, the retail arbitrage type business and more replens on the Amazon platform. And then I quit my day job early in 2013. And uh, then I took over and my wife still helps with the Amazon business, but she does some other things, some other components of our business more frequently. And uh, so we, we've been over nine years now full time and really enjoyed it. it's It's a totally different lifestyle than what we had before when I was working a regular day job and didn't see the kids very often and such. So that's kind of what drove us to uh, to use online selling as a way to earn our full-time income.
0: So you started on eBay and yeah, the listings, they take forever to do on eBay. <laughs> yeah. You know, It t- takes a while. I used to be an eBay seller myself as well. So what was the first product that you sold online?
1: It was actually a used book because like I said, at the beginning, I didn't realize, you know, we should try to find where I could create a listing one time and sell over and over on it. So it was a little used book about one of, um, it was Benjamin Franklin. It was a book about Benjamin Franklin. And I didn't know really anything what I was doing. I don't think I hardly made any money on it at all, but it was was exciting though to get that started.
0: Well, Benjamin Franklin did say,
1: Penny saved is a penny earned. That's right. So, and you know, for what we were wanting at the time, that was nice, you know, just to have stuff that was sitting around the house. And we do still sell on eBay, by the way, that's one of the things that we have done is, is tried to spread out our income. So we sell on different platforms and we have done other type of businesses over the years as well. But yeah, you know, right now I probably would never try to sell something for $5 on eBay because. All the time it would take, and the fees, and everything, and there wouldn't be anything really left. So, but yeah, just little by little is kind of how we built up our business for sure.
0: So, what was your learning curve like when you first started?
1: Oh boy, um, it every step along the way, there's been a big learning curve, and honestly, the industry has changed so much over the years that there's still learning curves <laughs> with everything and. You know, the the important thing that we have learned is as we can, we outsource different things in our business. And sometimes that's by hiring an employee. Sometimes that's by adding a tool that will automate things for us. But at the very beginning, you know, this goes way back, you know, because I had to actually take pictures with a camera (laughs) and then take the SD card out of the camera and put it into my computer. And so that process, you know, we talked about the ebay listings taking a long time now but back then they took a long time so as the technology has got better then that is really helpful to advance the business and to make things more automatic and such but every time you're learning something new there's a little bit of a learning curve to it and you've got to take the time to work your way through that
0: so how did you scale up like from the ebay days and you know in 2004 and then you moved to amazon and how has your business model changed?
1: That's the beauty of the Amazon platform, is that you can ship the product into FBA to fulfillment by Amazon. So that instead of me trying to get every single order and box up every single thing and ship that to every individual customer, now we can scale much more easily by shipping in hundreds of products at a time into the Amazon warehouses, so whenever the customers buy the product, then Amazon takes care of that fulfillment. So that was the, the thing that just kind of blew our minds back in probably 2011, 2012, whenever we started doing FBA. And we realized that, wow, this could actually work to be more than just a little side income. So do
0: you recommend people to start out with the Amazon FBA or, or what about FBM? Like, When do you use FBA? When should you use FBM?
1: We primarily use FBA, probably 99, 98% of the time is FBA. The times that we use FBM, Fulfillment by Merchant, first of all, would be around Christmas time. Whenever you get into the fourth quarter, there's just not enough time to get the product shipped into the Amazon warehouse for them to check it in and for the product to be available in a timely fashion. And so there's there's certainly times where we'll say, not enough time for that. We're just going to go ahead and fulfill this ourselves. And then there are certain products that you you just have small windows of opportunity. Uh, we, generally speaking, don't try to compete against Amazon at all. But there are a lot of listings where you can sell product in the in-between time when Amazon runs out of stock. Uh, but you just never know when that's going to be. So instead of sending that product into the warehouse and occurring the storage fees and such, we'll go and keep that product. We have a warehouse now ourselves. And so we'll store that in our warehouse. And then we just keep the merchant fulfilled listing open. And whenever Amazon runs out of stock, then that's the opportunity. Maybe we can get it. So uh, FBN kind of fills in some of those gaps and helps us with with just a handful of listings.
0: We're going to backtrack a little bit. Like when you first started, how much money did you put up?
1: Not very much. We actually, we put up about $1,000 of our personal money into it. And at that time, we had learned of Jim Cochran and the My Silent Team community. And Jim has a program called the Proven Amazon Course. And at that stage, it was $400. Now you can get in for like $29 a month or something like that. But it was $400. And so out of $1,000, we put $400 of it into that course to kind of learn what we were doing. And so then about $600 into inventory is what we got started with. And literally we just did it very slow and very steady and now whenever i came home full-time things scaled up a lot faster just because i was able to put a lot more time into it you mentioned in the introduction that we have five children and so my wife was starting this business with all five of the kids at home at that time now we've got a couple of them are are older and have moved out but she was just doing that a little bit here and a little bit there it's pretty amazing what all she was able to do to get the business started but then when I came home and I had full time hours to work on it, then we were able to scale up more. But we've just kind of been steady as we've gone throughout this business. So we didn't put a whole lot of money into it, and I hope that's an encouragement to some people who maybe are early on and think I don't have, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to get started. You just don't need it.
0: So you started out at six hundred dollars for inventory, and then yeah. you know while everything else, you know, inflation is happening all around the country, the yes. course you know, that was $29. You can start out as low as $29. So if you had $600 today, how would you spend that $600? How would you start?
1: Yeah, well, I would definitely get training, just like what I mentioned with the proven Amazon course, great way to get started because you can, you know, you talked about the learning curve. Well, man, you can really flatten the learning curve by getting some good training in, you know, from the, the pack course. And then there are a lot of low cost entry points to get into this business. And so we do a model called retail arbitrage or online arbitrage, where you go into retail stores, you go to their websites, and you can find products for, you know, just the normal prices that are on the shelf, the you know, $2, $5, $10. And we always recommend to people that they test small. So if there's a certain listing that you find that looks really good and you want to jump on it, you can just start with two or three units. All right. So if, if the item is $5 you know, you could literally get started with $10 to $15 and test that particular listing. And then if it sells well, then obviously you go back and you restock and you, you send in more. So that's where I would get started is I would get started with the arbitrage model. You can even do things cheaper than that. Honestly, you can go to garage sales and um, sell things on eBay, you know, again, individual items, but sometimes there you can buy th- something for a dollar and sell it for 40 or $50. So the margin is so much bigger there. That's what I would actually recommend. You know, and I guess on top of that, if you have things sitting around your house that you want to sell, you have to be careful about selling new things on Amazon that you don't have a good uh, receipt or invoice for, but you could sell that type of thing on eBay as well and just get some cash flowing into your business. that's cash flow is a is a massive problem that all sellers face and and at the beginning, it's the same way. Uh, so anything you can do to invest a little bit and get a you know get some more money back and then, put all those profits into the business, then you're going to be able to grow things a lot faster.
0: So when you first started, I understand that you saved you know, for several months, so you're able to keep your costs as low as possible. Uh, What was that like the first six months when you became full-time? For somebody who's thinking about getting into this full-time, what would you suggest them?
1: Yeah. So my wife and I sat down and we tried to determine how much money do we need to have in the bank before I can quit the day job? So no income is coming in anymore. and the business is is all that it is. And so we cut our budget, our individual budget, so that we didn't have as many expenses as before. And then we put six months' worth of expenses, into the bank. And so we just gradually saved that up again, little by little, until we got to the point where, We were comfortable we can go six months without any income coming in at all one of the things that i would encourage anybody who's thinking about making that leap into the business full time is that as long as you can go without taking money out of the business it's going to help your business to grow and to thrive any pressure that you put on the business is going to make it harder for it and so pulling money out of the business is a pressure on that business all right so uh, as long as you can keep rolling over your profits back into the business, you know, definitely that's going to help out a lot. And so we reduced our expenses. We saved money. We stored up some things in our house so we wouldn't have to even spend as much as what we normally would. And then after we we had been doing the business for about five or six months, then we kind of reevaluated everything. You know, where are we at? How are things going? And we were actually able to stretch it out a few more months beyond that without taking any money from the business. One mistake that we did make with that is we end up taking pretty much our full salary right away. If I had to do that over again I would have taken out a little bit at the beginning and then taken out a little bit more and you know not put all of that pressure on the business at one time. Kind of eased our way into where the business was paying us.
0: When you talk about cash flow, what did that look like? Because let's say you start out with $600, you're making some returns. What do you mean by reinvesting the profits like So you sell a product, uh, there's more money into your Amazon account. You draw out the money, and then then you start purchasing other products. Like, what's that whole process to get cash flow?
1: Yeah, if you start off with you know, $100, for example, uh, one of the things that you want to do, obviously, is try to get as much profit as you can out of that. So if you can double your money, that's a really good standard uh, to go with, especially at the beginning. So, So you spend $100, let's say you sell it for the products, you sell them for around $300. After Amazon takes their chunk and everything, you've got about hundred dollars profit. All right. So now you've got that money that you can take and reinvest in more product. So as opposed to me taking out like, hey, I just made hundred dollars. I'm going to go out to eat tonight or something. <laughs> you can't do that at the beginning. Uh, that'll come later. But you just need to go ahead and take that money and put it right back into the business and buying more product. So there's at the beginning, you can do it very inexpensively. You can just use the Amazon seller app in order to be able to look up products to see if if they're profitable or not. You can even get a free version of Keepa at the beginning, so you don't even have any expense with that. Once you start buying tools, Keepa is normally the first one that we recommend to people because it really helps with their analysis and such. And then whenever you start building up an inventory, then you start adding on more tools and that will just help you to, instead of you're spending your time over here doing all these things, you can have that part automated. And then you can start growing your business even more from there.
0: So beside retail arbitrage and online arbitrage, I'm wondering what other topics do you teach for your coaching?
1: We teach a lot of different methods. The kind of the common theme that we talk about is replense. So replenishable type products, things that you can just keep selling over and over and over again. It really shorts down kind of that learning curve and such, because instead of constant i mean you, we're constantly looking for new replens don't get me wrong but instead of constantly looking for a product that you sell one time and another product another time if you can find a listing that you can just keep selling repeatedly on that one listing then that's really easier to scale your business so now you can do replens through a, a number of different ways you can do that through that online arbitrage or retail arbitrage you can also do it through the wholesale method where you actually work directly with a distributor of products or maybe you actually get an ch- opportunity to work directly with the manufacturer of the product. And so that's just kind of a more advanced way to do replans. Generally speaking, with wholesale, your profit margin is going to be lower, but you can repeat it easier. You can scale up a little bit easier. So those are the main things we teach. We also talk some about bundling products and creating your own listings and such. But again, that's a little bit more of an advanced strategy. But primarily the RAOA replans and then into wholesale eventually.
0: Here's a question for a wholesale. Like, you know, let's say you're a small seller and when you're contacting some of these wholesalers, like there's a MOQ usually, or, you know, sometimes they just ignore you. Like I've made calls to manufacturers and they just kind of brush you off. How do you convince the wholesaler or the manufacturer to sell products directly to you at a price that could be accepted to you?
1: Yeah, it's definitely an issue. I mean... If you send out 100 emails to wholesale companies, you may get five responses, you know, (laughs) and and really, it's kind of frustrating because you think I'm trying to give you money. I'm trying to buy product from you. But I know that they're probably overwhelmed. They're probably dealing with, you know, big, bigger retailers and such than, you know, us smaller sellers. But it, it is hard to convince people to do anything like that. But generally speaking, some of the things we've learned over the years is if you stick with smaller companies, it's easier to work with them. So uh, there's one of our manufacturers we work with. I talk directly to the owner. (laughs) All right. So she answers her cell phone. I've got her personal cell phone. I can talk to her anytime about issues or placing orders or anything like that. And I love that. The bigger the company you go, the harder it's going to be.
0: Right. There's going to be more layers.
1: More layers. Exactly. We generally speaking, we will start off by sending an email. To the company, we keep it really simple. We'll follow up with them in a week or so if we haven't heard anything from them. And then the best thing to do then is to get on the phone. And so it's going to take a little bit more time. But whenever you get on the phone and you talk to somebody and you say, you know, hey, I've I've sent a couple of emails, I'm interested in opening up an account with your company and nobody's getting back to me. Generally speaking, that gets their attention. And while you're on the phone with whoever's answered the phone at the moment, if you can get the name of a representative for your part of the country if you could get their phone number and their email, that's like gold because now you've got a direct number that you can you can call or a direct email that you can email. And it's not just the generic like info at, you know, the email that you're trying to go to where- Right,
0: or the contact form you're just typing in.
1: <laughs> yes, I, I normally just avoid those contact forms completely. Uh, if they do have a, an application to get an account on their website, I'll go ahead and fill that out because a lot of times that'll get the ball rolling pretty quickly. Uh, They know you're serious about it and everything, but you just have to realize that Amazon sellers have a bad reputation with wholesale companies. And it's really unfortunate, but as you know, if if the people are watching, if you've been selling on Amazon for any length of time, you know that there's these competitors out there that just drive you crazy. Well, those are the people that are giving us a bad reputation and the wholesale companies are kind of putting us all in the, in the same, you know, area together. there. And so, you know, if you get an opportunity to talk like, to a sales rep or to the owner of the company, that's an opportunity for you to say, here's what's different about me. You know, here's how I would handle this differently versus all those people that drive us all crazy. <laughs> you know, I will honor your minimum advertised price. I will make sure that your listings look good, that the pictures are good, the description is done properly, you know, and and all those type of things and and I've even had situations where I have kind of, you know, gone to the the representative and just said, hey, there's some people who are undercutting the price of where they should be. I kind of felt like I was like tattling on them or something, but but <laughs> the rep was very happy that I had done it. He said, you know, this is a problem and I need to address it. So thanks for telling me. So there's things like that that we can do that would be a little bit of an advantage and we can, you know, you just have to look at it from their perspective and what are some problems that they have and how can I help them deal with those type of problems. And sometimes that works. And then you can get an account where they may have been reluctant before.
0: Well, that's, that's great advice for our audience. I'm wondering, how do you avoid severe competition? Because you talked about, you know, people lowering the price so much where there's hardly any profits. And how do you avoid severe competition when you're sourcing? And could you give our audience some tips about how do you do sourcing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Keep as our friend in that type of a situation. And you can see the new seller count on that bottom chart. And and if you want, I could even show you some of that. If you want me to do a live example of some of that, would that sure, be right? Sure, absolutely. You know, that would be awesome. All right. Very good. Let me uh, share my screen here then. Whenever I'm sourcing product, I like to do it by brand anytime that I can. All right. So one of the biggest problems, I was just talking with a coaching student uh, earlier today, and I said, what's, what's your biggest problem whenever you're trying to find products? And he said, I don't know where to start. <laughs> and I hear that a lot, actually. And so the best way that, I can, that I've been able to come up with is to start with a brand. Now, I, as you can see, I typed in the great value brand. That's a commonly known brand. It's owned by Walmart. And I just kind of picked it when I was thinking about this earlier today, because pretty much everybody has a Walmart fairly close by and you're somewhat familiar with the great value brand. And so whenever I start typing the great value into the search bar with Amazon, they start giving me these suggestions. Now, this is actually what I've got over here is a an additional Chrome extension. And so most people won't be able to see this unless you have that Chrome extension. And it's like keyword Amazon keyword extender, I think is the name of it, but this is the Amazon main
0: keyword th- extender that's the Chrome extension.
1: Yes. Yes. And I believe it's a free extension too, by the way, over here, you'll see that Amazon is making some suggestions for me and that can actually give me some paths that I could be working down to try out. So, you know, great value drink mix or paper towels or paper plates, you know, they've got this great value fruit smiles, you know, so we could, we could click on any of these type of things here. And just kind of see where it takes us. In this case, I'll, I'll try the drink mix. And so as we're going here, you're going to see some of the sponsor, I think, normally show up here at the top. And so these are completely different brands. But then as you get down here, you will start recognizing the great value logo on these type of things. All right. And, you know, one of the ways that you can avoid some competition is to do this reverse sourcing method that I'm doing here just by typing in the brand and maybe a a couple of like uh, great value drink mix. That's an example of doing reverse sourcing. And the reason that kind of eliminates your competition is because if somebody is, you know, kind of doing what we would call like lazy sourcing and they're just taking their phone and just scanning barcodes, a lot of these listings won't even come up for them. All right, so you kind of eliminate or only sourcing that way. Anytime that I see something that has like a pack of six, like these two listings have, That is a listing that I'm very interested in. And I'm interested in it because probably to buy one of these drink mixes individually and selling it individually is not going to be enough profit. And that's based upon how Amazon does their fees. It's percentage-wise, the fees are a lot higher on the the lower-priced items. And so whenever people put together a multi-pack and then I can just jump on it, I don't have to create the listing or anything, that is really nice. So, let me just as an example, just kind of pull up this listing here, and we could do a, a quick analysis of this in just a few minutes here. One of the other tools that I do have and that I do recommend is this one right here. It's called RevSeller. It's a tool that's not very expensive, it's about $100 a year. And so that's, you know, keep a RevSeller, and then I go directly to a reprafter after that. And so this gives me a little bit of information about the listing. I'm not even going to spend Uh, really any time looking at that at all. But I like this listing because it is a pack of six and I like it because the price point is $25. That kind of seems like maybe that's going to be profitable, but I won't know until I go out and source this product. It's really easy to source the product whenever you know exactly the store you're going to find it at. In this case, we know it's a great value brand, so I'm going to find it at Walmart. And RevSeller has this links tab right here where I can go and click on this or this and it will Open up a tab for Walmart and it will do a search for it based upon either the first six words or all the words that are in this title. So that it takes the words from the title and puts it into the search bar here for me. And so again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this as far as you'd always want to double check and make sure you've got the exact right product, it's right size and everything. But I'm pretty sure this is the right one right here. And it's $1.94. And so then uh, this is a six pack here. So I have to do my calculation. So that would have come out to $11.64 as my buy cost. And so now this is going to show me my net profit at $5.20. And anything, I, I like things that are $5 or more profit. So that's this definitely hits that criteria. It's 45% ROI, which is a little bit low, but I I generally will go with things that are 40% or higher. So, you know, whenever you get to a, percentage, an ROI that's down kind of low like that at 45%, you wouldn't want to do that for something that was a big product, that was going to be really hard to prep it. It was going to be expensive to ship into Amazon and such. But this is definitely a small product, and it's light. So, so this would be something that I think would be a, a good option for us here.
0: Well, that's fantastic.
1: So, yeah. So, then I, I'd come down here, and, and to get to that question, another way that I would try to avoid listings with a whole lot of competition is to look at this chart right down here on Keepa. And you can kind of see number one, like where we're at with the number of sellers right now, which looks like it's seven, all right? And historically, you know, it has been higher than that. So this is a listing that it went way, way down, actually went down to zero at one point. With all the supply chain issues, you'll see a lot of listings like this, where maybe Walmart ran out of stock for a while. And so then nobody could get the product. Nobody could send it into Amazon. So for a little while, this was way down, and it's starting to climb back up. So when you see the numbers climbing up, it kind of gives you a little a red flag. You kind of get worried because a lot of times, whenever this goes up, then the price starts coming down. But again, back to what I said earlier about I would test every any listing that I would go to. I would always test it. And if I'm only going to send in two or three, and this was you know eleven dollars. So at the most, if everything really goes bad with this, I've only wasted 30 or $35. I'm willing to take that risk. And I, I didn't turn on the sales rank up here, but you can see that this product is, has been selling really good and steadily. So anytime you see a product that's selling good and steadily, it's nice to take a look at the price and make sure that, it has, you know, that it's somewhat stable here. Um, it's, it's actually up a little bit right now from where it was over here so the price is actually going in the right direction for us in this particular case but as the number of sellers goes up then i would be concerned that the price, the price would,
0: would go down so when you're looking at the pricing on keep are you looking at the buy box price or are you looking at like historic price last how long how long are you looking at that pricing for
1: so my initial analysis is over the last three months you can set your default on keep it to go to whatever time period you want but i have mine set at three months because i like to see the recent history, and especially over these last couple of years with all of the supply chain issues and just all the craziness that has gone on, you know, if you take a look over the, the last year, there'll be some massive fluctuations. But if the last three months has been pretty steady, or if it's going in the right direction, then I feel much more comfortable about it. Once I've looked at the three months, I generally speaking, will go and stretch it out to a one year view. And again, it sometimes you see some really kind of crazy, interesting things that happen out here, but uh, you can see even right here in the recent past, the buy box, I'm sorry, that's the FBA, new third-party FBA price. It's kind of been all over the place, you know, from down to 20 to up to 25, you know, percentage really big difference. And the buy box, you'll see that the buy box kind of comes and goes. And that's because Amazon will suppress the buy box at times. Whenever the price goes up to a level that is higher than what Amazon thinks it should be, they will just make that buy box go away. So that instead of, you know, having these options right here, add to cart or buy now for a customer, instead, there would be a a tab right here that would say, see all sellers, as a buyer, you'd have to make an extra click and go see all the list of all the sellers on there. So this is definitely a listing that you can see that the buy box has kind of come and gone on it. That doesn't really bother me a whole lot. I sell on a lot of listings and Be Cool really helps with this, to be honest with you. Because the buy box disappears, then you want your repricer to be able to understand that and make an adjustment for you. Because maybe, I don't know if you want to get into that yet, but sometimes you set up a rule based upon having a buy box disappears and your repricer is like, I don't know what to do. But Be Cool has got a great solution for that. So...
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, what do you do when buy box is suppressed? You know, Amazon doesn't award the buy box to anybody, like you mentioned. Like they believe that the price is not competitive enough. What do you do in that situation?
1: So, it is definitely a different strategy because whenever there is a buy box, all you have to do is compete for that buy box and get your seller information right here. Whenever the customer wants to buy something, and then they can just click on Add to Cart or Buy Now. So. With that, you just need to stay within a certain percentage of what the buy box is. And sometimes you need to match the buy box. Sometimes you can be one or two percent above. I see that this particular buy box owner right now is a merchant-fulfilled seller since it says it ships from that seller. And so as an FBA seller, I could probably go two, three, four percent higher, maybe even more than that. And I can still. Get the buy box because amazon prefers fba sellers now if the buy box disappears it's gotten suppressed and now the buyer is going to click on that list and see a list of all the sellers that are out there kind of like whenever they would click on the this right here and just see a list of all the sellers there well now price is all the more important so the rules that we have set up in the repricer is i've got one set to match the buy box all right so that would mean right now i would actually match the 25 dollars 50 and i would probably wrestle that away from them as a merchant f- f- seller but uh, so i've got that buy box match the buy box rule but then i've got a second rule that is with a suppressed buy box and in that case what i'm going to try to do is to match the lowest fba seller and I, the reason i do that is because a lot of buyers they really like to use their prime benefits As you know, there are just millions of Prime subscribers and they like to use those Prime benefits. So, and they have more of a trust factor because they know Amazon's going to be shipping it to them and everything. And so a lot of them will come over this filter and click Prime right here. And all of the merchant fulfilled sellers have been eliminated from competition. This is actually kind of an interesting one here because you do see this ships from Amazon and Their price is lower and they don't have the buy box right now. But that's another factor that's in here is that Amazon will transfer product from one fulfillment center to another. And they do it a lot more often than I wish they would. But when they do that, your product then is not going to be able to get shipped to the customer as fast as if it was sitting in a warehouse and available for them to ship it. So this seller right here, I'm sure that's what's going on is their product is being transferred from one warehouse to the other. And so because the customer is not even going to be able to get it for what, three weeks or so from now, Amazon is not going to give them the buy box at the moment. But as soon as this product becomes available again, it's, it's in a warehouse again, this will, this person will probably get the buy box and they are $3 cheaper. So that's actually another good part of the analysis to really sit down and think about is what happens if the price goes down to 2250, can I make any profit or not on it? But anyway, I said, that's what I used to do. I used to have those two rules out there. Now I just use the AI (laughs) with Beekle and that can seem to adjust back and forth. And it seems to understand how to give me the best competitive price where I can have the most profit, but I'm still getting sales and such. That's how we do it now. That's
0: fantastic. So with the AI, it would adjust up or adjust down depending on the competitors that are coming in. So it saves you time. We also have a new conditional repricing, which you could actually switch different rules as well. Let's talk a little bit about the repricer. How did you hear about Equal cool in the past? Did you use something else
1: before using Bequal? Cool? So I did use something else before using Bequal. Cool. Part of our story is that even though we were doing this business full time, in 2018, we ran into a really rough patch. I had some health challenges. We had a couple of our big suppliers that like one of them got bought out and didn't have the same product line anymore. Another one said, we don't want you to sell on Amazon anymore. And so we had like all these things that kind of happened at the same time. And so we did what we thought we had to do at the time. And we just started cutting a ton of expenses because we had added up quite a few tools at that time. And so we stopped our repricer (laughs) and we realized that that was a huge mistake because now all of a sudden we were kind of stuck in this in-between time where we didn't have time to go in and manually Reprice, And even doing that, I mean, you know, manually repricing is nothing compared to a repricer because, you know, who can sit there every minute or every 15 minutes and keep up with all the changes, of course. And so because we turned off that repricer, we, our sales just almost went down to nothing and it was really, really bad. Wow. Um, yeah. So we realized that we needed to get back into the repricer And we, honestly, I don't remember exactly where we heard of Be Cool. We're very involved in the My Silent Team community. So that's probably where it was, honestly. And we love the fact that there was a low entry point of the $25 a month plan. And that was just really nice where we were. And again, for new sellers, I recommend Be Cool all the time, just because it's such a low price point. Get into it. And then you can just advance up to the different price levels. Like We're up at the $100 price level now uh, where we got access to the AI and the conditional repricer and everything. But, um, oh, that was a big mistake. I, if anybody out there do not cancel your repricer, unless you're going over to be cool, You know.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Lair. You needed to have the repricers to continue to get more sales. So how did be cool help your business once you start using it?
1: Well, it just keeps up with everything on an automated basis. You know, if you think about like, if I would hire an employee and say, sit down and watch these 100 SKUs that I've got. We're up over a 1,000 SKUs now, but you know, even just saying like 100 SKUs, to have an individual sit there and try to watch that and all the changes of the competition, <laughs> it's just kind of, uh, it's almost ridiculous to think about doing that, right? And then whenever you think you can pay $25 a month and have a system that every 15 minutes would go in there, and check the competition and follow the rules that you've established for it to follow. It's again, it's a tool that I just wouldn't want to do this business without. It helps you to get more sales. It helps you to get more profitable sales as well. Actually, you know, another feature that, that about the repricer that I really like is it kind of helps me to stay connected to my inventory, you know, to go in and there's a lot of our business that we've outsourced, but handling the repricer, I still do that myself. And it's just because I kind of like doing it. I go out there at least once a week, maybe more often sometimes, and I just take a look at some of the listings, some of the filters that are out there, and I can just kind of play with the filters and bring up certain listings. And it's just, I find it interesting, for one thing, I stay connected to what is doing well, and maybe more importantly, I stay connected to what is not doing well, so we can avoid that in the future. We have a couple of shoppers on our team it's probably been six or seven months ago now that I started having them actually source products. So they don't just shop from a list. Now they actually look for products. And so be cool has actually been really valuable to me to go through there and I can put some certain parameters in and then I can see who sourced that. And then I can train them to help them so that, you know, Hey, you know, why'd you source this product? It's not selling. And then we can just help them a lot better to source better products in the future.
0: So you're able to better analyze your business operations and see which listings are performing well, which aren't. And then you can also measure the shoppers who are helping you to find these products as well. And if they should go out and they should replenish those products. And back to the repricer, has your buy box win percentage improved since you start using bequal cool And if so, what was your buy box win percentage before, and, and what about now?
1: Yes, it, it definitely has improved. You know, Amazon has got the little feature that says what your buy box percentage is, and I just ignore that because it's way off. <laughs> um, our buy box percentage is normally between about 44 to 46%, somewhere in there right now. And well, that's um, incredible. Yeah, I'm very happy with that. And especially whenever you consider, whenever I start looking at, again, the, one of the filters is you know, what percentage of buy box. So if I put the like, okay, what listings have between zero to 20% buy box percentage, because, you know, maybe I need to reduce my minimum, or maybe I need to take a closer look at what's going on with that listing. A big percentage of those products are items where the buy box is suppressed. So nobody's getting the buy box on those. But yeah, I've been very pleased with that. There are times where I've even been able to top over 50% on the buy box percentage win. And, um, obviously getting the buy box is so key to this entire business. And that's what the repricer provides for us.
0: And by getting the buy box, like how much of your total sales have increased since you start using be cool repricer?
1: Well, whenever we turned that on there, and I think that was, it was either late 2018 or early 2019, whenever we turned that on and our sales were, were pretty dismal and so we saw a significant impact, a significant increase. And it's always fun with our coaching students whenever they get to the level where they can afford a repricer and when it's needed. And just by the way, we generally speaking, we say somewhere around 50 SKUs. Some people are able to wait a little bit longer, but that's kind of a good target market whenever people are up to that level. And that means that they've kind of got the sourcing down just a little bit. They're getting some profit in the business a little bit and they can afford the the $25 a month. But it is always really fun whenever we've recommended that to a student and they've got it all set up and everything. And then the next time we meet, <laughs> because they'll be like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe what just happened with our sales. We'll see people who are, you know, again, they're, they're just starting off. They're not selling a ton yet, but they'll have this double of their sales, you know, just like almost instantaneously whenever they turn it on. Oh, wow! that is just nice to see that. Yeah.
0: And to see that quick growth. Uh, when you start using a repricer. And my understanding is for your rule setting, you talked a little bit about that, about matching the buy box, not going for the lowest price. And this is when you're doing the product research too. You're finding products that consistently sell. You also use a scheduler, if You use a feature. How do you use that? Like, why do you use a scheduler?
1: Yeah, that was somebody, somebody had recommended that to me about a year ago and I started using that. So we've got our set so that at 2 a.m. the price jumps up. And I think we've got it set to go 10% above the current price. And there's a lot of options. You could have it jump up to your maximum. You could, you know, there's a lot of options there. And then at three o'clock, then the repricer kicks back in again. And the reason we do that is uh, a few reasons. Number one is that Amazon likes to see activity. They always like to see activity. And there's some of the listings that will kind of get a little bit stale because maybe I've got the buy box 100% of the time. You know, I'm just dominating this listing. And so my price just never changes. Well, this forces the price to change a little bit and then it'll come back down to wherever I need it to be so I can get my sales. So it just on that listing, it kind of refreshes it a little bit. And then the other thing is that sometimes it'll also kind of reset even with our competition, because if we've got a competitor who is always wanting to be a little bit lower, you know, if if you get one of those competitors who always wants to be a penny lower than you, then you don't want to play that race to the bottom. And of course, your minimum will help with that. But also if all of a sudden you just jump your price up really fast there at 2 a.m., then their price is going to jump up as well. And it kind of resets the level where that listing is. And so that's going to help with the profit as well. And, and again, you're I'm doing that at two o'clock in the morning. I think you can set it anytime you want, but I chose two o'clock in the morning because I figured that's probably a pretty low traffic time on Amazon. And so I'm not really going to be missing out on a lot of sales by having my price jump up really fast like that.
0: So you're attempting to trigger um, some price resets, which gives you possibly a little bit more profit in the low traffic hours to that listing. So talking a little bit about outsource, because you talked about that a little bit, how you have your own warehouse, having shoppers, which parts of the job can you outsource and which parts of the job should you do yourself?
1: Yeah, at the beginning, we basically do everything ourselves. We we refer to that as the hustle stage. You're just trying to it's really important. I think even whenever people say, you know, they've only got 10 hours a week or something like that to get their business started, I still recommend that they handle everything themselves so they get an idea of what's going on and learning how to prep and how to ship and how to obviously how to source and to buy things and such. And then you know there's a it's up for grabs what you would like to outsource first. We in our case, we outsource the prepping and shipping part. So you can get a prep center to do that for you. You can hire somebody to come in and to help you. We actually hired somebody ourselves and had them come in. And we had a, there was a couple that we knew they were actually prepping and shipping from their house. So we would go out and shop and get the stuff and just drop it off at their house. And they would do that for us. Uh, They ended up moving out of the area. And so then we took that back on ourselves it was you know all of a sudden now it's a lot of work and it's product all over our house and it was kind of a problem so then we eventually found a place that we could just rent in the town that's nearby where we are and uh, that gave us a lot more space and it also gave us the opportunity to have more people come in that would help us with the prepping and the shipping aspect of things so that was really important in the growth of our business so that the prepping and shipping i actually don't mind it I kind of like it every once in a while. I still help out with, especially boxing things up and shipping them into Amazon. But whenever I freed up that time, it just was amazing what we could do to scale the business.
0: I love what you said that when you start it, you know, every part of the job. And I know that from other interviews you've done is you're able to teach your shoppers exactly what to do and you can watch them and you have a way where they can follow your example. So then, you know, fiends get done the way that you want them to get done. And then you're able to scale up and you're able to give some of that job to other people. So I I love that.
1: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. With the shoppers, that's another way you can outsource. And some people will start with that. And yeah, I actually met, you know, I, we went to the store together. We walked the aisles together. I talked, you know, thinking out loud is really important whenever you're doing this because after you start doing it for a while and you get good at it then you're thinking all this stuff but you you know it takes a lot of time and effort to actually say out loud what is going through your mind <laughs> because there's just hundreds of things uh, as you're making every all these decisions on what's a good product and what's not a good product so again we started our shoppers just with a list and then as they started seeing you know some patterns with things then I kind of turned them loose with uh, sourcing things themselves and so that I pay them an hourly hourly rate. Plus I give them a commission on the products that they find themselves. So they've got incentive.
0: How do you manage these different people? What's the best way to manage these employees that you got? Is there a system that you use that's worked well for you?
1: Yeah, we have a training system that maybe people have heard of before, but it's basically four stages to the training. And at the beginning it's I do and you watch. So I'm doing the task, whatever I'm doing, and they're just observing. All right, And maybe I'm This would be a good time for me to be thinking out loud and kind of explaining why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then the second stage is I do and you help. All right. So they start getting involved. If this is prepping, then they're actually going to grab the poly bag and they're going to hand it to me and they're going to, you know, maybe hand me the tape or whatever. They're just going to be there right with me and kind of helping me to do the task. So then we move to the third stage, which is you do it and I help. Right. So now they're the ones that are actually putting the product in the poly bag and folding it. And, but I'm right there to say, like, no, 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 you don't want to do it that way. Remember, you want to do it this way and, and to catch anything right there. And then the fourth stage is you do and I watch. So I just kind of stand back. I don't really say anything. They get all the way through with it. And then maybe I can give them feedback and analysis. And it's just really important to take the time at the beginning with a new employee and to train them properly. So that way they actually know what they're doing and that they're doing it the way you want them to. And then you want to follow up with that. You know, you don't just completely turn them loose. There's a lot of follow up training. And generally speaking, that's kind of spot checking things maybe a little bit. Or definitely if you get any sort of um, an issue that happens with the, like, again, in my example, of prepping and shipping. If I get some sort of notification from Amazon that there was a problem with the shipment, then I'm definitely going over that with the employees so that they understand what happened and how important, you know, such and such a thing is. They can improve. They, you know, the employees, they want to do a good job. They want to know how to do the job properly and such. And so it's just important to communicate on a very consistent basis.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. My question here, we're going back a little bit to the warehouse and the warehouse operation, and these are some economics, like, when you're comparing the costs of sending it to a prep center, shipping it yourself to Amazon, or having your own warehouse, at what point is good to work with a warehouse? Is there a certain amount of profit that needs to be made on each product for it to be worthwhile?
1: Yeah, that's a great question because it is important that you know your numbers and that's a whole subject all in and of itself. But a tool like Inventory Lab, for example, can help with that. It can analyze uh, skew by skew, ASIN by ASIN. And it is important to kind of have a good idea of number one of the profitability of the products. And so you may get to the point where you say, I need to have at least $4 worth of profit, for example, per item, or my expenses are going to eat up any profit that's there. We have a tendency to to source smaller and lighter type of items versus the big bulky things but there's good opportunities with the big bulky things as well but you just have to realize that's going to cost you more to handle that product and to you know it's going to be a bigger expense so it is important to do that type of analysis i do think generally speaking having your own warehouse and getting your own supplies is going to be cheaper than a prep center Again, very general terms, I think that is going to be true. The challenge is, though, whenever you have your own warehouse, it's going to take up a lot more of your time because you're going to have to get the space. You're going to have to get the shelving units. You're going to have to buy your own boxes. You're going to have to buy your own uh, poly bags. You're going to have to train your employees. All of those things, you have to factor that in. So I think with a lot of sellers, they will just say, you know, I like the idea, of sitting down with my computer and ordering it, having it shipped directly to the prep center, and I don't even have to touch the product. And so they're willing to pay that little bit more of an expense in the prepping cost. That would also impact your sourcing. You know, you may say, I need at least $6 profit per product now. And you obviously want to factor in what your prep cost is going to be in that. So. It's really a personal preference. I like kind of the control of it. I like spending, you know, going to be able to get out of the house. I'm actually in my house right now. This is my home office. And so I work here a lot, but our warehouse is just a couple miles down the road. And so I can be there quickly. And I spend, you know, normally, well, it just depends on the week, but maybe five hours there per week. So not much. But it's just kind of nice to be able to see the product and see what's going on. And when there's a problem, the employees, they, they have a stack for me normally of, you know, here's some problems or questions that we've got. And so I'm right there to be able to help to handle that.
0: So in the warehouse, like you might come to a point where that you have a bunch of products lying around, uh, typically we call yeah. the death pile. What do you do with your death pile? <laughs> like, because you, eventually you got to make space.
1: I am working through that right now. Matter of fact. And that's, we, we started talking earlier in, uh, in this interview about cash flow problems. And whenever that death pile starts piling up, it's like, you know, that's a cash flow nightmare because I've spent money on this stuff. And for some reason, it's over here. It could be that I got it or one of my shoppers got it and didn't realize that we were restricted on Amazon for that product. We get a lot of returns. You know, we have to deal with those returns either because, you know, Amazon has done something, changed some policy. You know, the toys, they're requesting the child safety documentation and such. Uh, Whatever the reason is, we've had to bring that product back. So we do sell on eBay still, and we also sell on the Walmart platform. They have their distinctions about them, and some things sell better on eBay than they do on Amazon or Walmart, especially collectible type things or it's also just a great platform to sell the things that you can't sell on Amazon. Walmart, I really like it because the it's like Amazon, there's one listing for the product, so I don't have to take pictures, I don't have to write a description or anything, I just have to say, hey, I've got one of those available. And so for things like clothing and things that are a little bit harder to take pictures of, and you know maybe you're selling it for 12 to $15, that's a lot of work on eBay to go through for something with a kind of a low price point. So again, whenever I see that death pile and we just, literally, we've just been doing that in this last couple of weeks, just saying, okay, what are we going to do with these things? And we just make the analysis on them. If it's something that can be sold on a Walmart, let's do it because it's really fast and simple. If not, it's got to go on eBay. And then frankly, there's a lot of items that the price point is so low or Maybe whenever it got returned from Amazon, it was so destroyed with the boxing and such that we're just going to donate this and just give it to somebody.
0: So you have different channels to sell off some of the death pile. If, for example, if you can't sell it on Amazon, for the products on Amazon, when do you start reducing the prices?
1: So, yeah, that's a great question. So we obviously, we'd love to be able to get our full price that we were hoping to get, you know, at the beginning, but... Everybody knows things change so dramatically and so quickly on Amazon all the time. So that's where, again, where the repricer is going to really come in handy. And especially with this conditional repricer, I'm just getting started with that, by the way. But to be able to put in the condition where, you know, in the first 30 days, here's the minimum ROI and here's the repricing rule. And then if it goes over 30 days, then you get a little bit more aggressive with your pricing and maybe you lower your ROI a little bit. And definitely, you know, probably once it hits the 60-day mark, I'm, I'm ready to start moving this product. Uh, that's getting too long that it's sitting there. And there are exceptions to that where I would put a different repricing feature on there. There are some things where, you know, either it's a seasonal thing and I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I got the product into the warehouse a little bit ahead of the season and, and I'm willing to wait for it or there's something kind of like what I mentioned earlier about I'm kind of waiting on Amazon to go out of stock and I don't want to lower my price too often much. So there's exceptions to this, but generally speaking at 60 day mark, I'm lowering my price. And then at 90 day, I'm getting pretty aggressive on it because you get to 90 to 120 days on just a normal product. And I'm actually willing to just break even and just get my money back. You get up to uh 180 days or something like that, willing to take as big of a loss as I need to take just to get some money back and to get rid of that product and stop the storage fees.
0: Yeah. Avoid, keep paying the storage fees every single month. And then even when you get to like 271 days, now there's even other expenses that are incurring as well too. Uh, So definitely, you know, before it hits the death pile. So what are some common issues for Amazon sellers? How should they deal with them?
1: I think some of the most common issues that we see with people is trying to find good profitable products. I normally tell our students, especially if they're brand new, I say, this is the biggest hurdle that you're ever going to overcome in this business, is how to find profitable products. And unfortunately, it's pretty much the first hurdle that you come up against with the Amazon business. So that creates some real issues. Um, One of the biggest thing I just encourage people to do, we talk a lot about your thinking, your mindset. And so at the beginning, it's easy for people to get discouraged with that. Like, I just can't find anything. And so I always just tell people, you have to stick with it. You can't just say, I'm going to try this for an hour or two and I couldn't find anything. So I quit. You have to just keep building and working and going through those stages. Certainly tools will help out. We talked about the training of the Proven Amazon course before. I'm a coach with Jim Cockrum Coaching. It's not cheap, but it's a lot cheaper than a lot of other programs that are out there. But if you can afford coaching, that's really going to help you to get through these struggles uh, earlier on. Uh, What I did earlier sharing my screen, and I just spent a few minutes kind of talking about that. I do that with all of our coaching students, but I'll spend an hour or two or three you know, a different sessions, not all at one time, but I'll spend a lot of time with them to help them to overcome those type of hurdles. People can definitely do it without coaching, they can definitely do it on their own, but it's just going to maybe take a little bit longer. So that's probably the biggest thing that I see people struggle with. And then, you know, beyond that once you start getting a business and you're building it up, then there's always cash flow issues. And especially this time of year as as we're recording this, it's it's in June. And so this time of year is kind of a challenge and we're kind of holding on until we can get to Q4 and and really see some massive profits there. But uh, cash flow is just, you know, knowing your numbers, being very careful with your expenses, always really analyzing things before you make purchases, staying on top of things, making sure that it's not just sitting in the warehouse and costing you money like what we talked about a minute ago. And and making sure that you're cutting your ties whenever you need to on product and even selling it at a bit of a loss if you have to. So anything you can do just to keep the cash rolling in. So those are two biggest things that I see and some of the suggestions that I would have on them.
0: What do you do on a daily basis on your Amazon account?
1: Yeah, that's another great question because something a lot of people will forget about is to make sure that they're checking their account health on a regular basis under that performance, making sure you haven't got any negative feedback because that hurts your buy box performance as well. Uh, We've talked a lot about the repricer and price is the number one thing in getting the buy box, but there are other factors that go into it. And making sure that you're keeping your account metrics in good condition is very, very important. So, you know, making sure you haven't got negative feedback, make sure that you don't have any uh, performance notifications on your account. That's something that I do on a daily basis. I check all that type of stuff out. I'll also go in and take a look at my inventory on a regular basis in the managed inventory area of Amazon just to make sure that I don't have any high price alerts or any restricted, you know, new restricted products or any sort of issues like that. Because as much as you can keep track of that, you know, if you've got a high price alert, you're not going to sell it because it goes stranded. And so sometimes it's just a simple little adjustment that you need to make on that. And so those are things that, again, I've kept control over that myself because I really enjoy doing that stuff and it's very, very important. So those are a couple of the things that I do. And then, like I said, I'll check my repricer at least once a week. I kind of have a list of things that I do daily, a list of things that I do weekly, and then a list of things that I do monthly. You know, I just kind of keep a list so that, otherwise I'll I'll never remember.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's so many different tasks on a regular basis. And let's talk a little bit about working together with your spouse. What are the pros and cons of being business partners with your spouse and also involving your kids as well?
1: Yes, absolutely. This is something that Sue and I are really passionate about. We have enjoyed so much working together. It's something that we talk about a lot. And and actually, even this year, there's going to be the Proven Conference. Again, for those of you who are in the My Silent Team community, you're probably familiar with that. That's happening in August. And Sue and I are going to be talking about some of the subjects of working together as a husband and wife. So the advantages are that you're together all the time and maybe the disadvantage is that you're together all the time. Right. (laughs) Um, And so there's always the potential for conflict. We have really worked hard at this to say that, you know, together we're working on this business. We talk about working side by side because there is the tendency, you know, back whenever I had my day job, there'd be conflict in the business. And, you know, with with people who are working together and such, of course, whenever I was a manager there, I would always try to get the employees to instead of, you know, kind of fighting face to face, I try to get them side by side and working together on whatever the problem is, like, let's work together to fix this problem. And so as a married couple, that's really important. If we're having financial problems, if we're having cash flow issues, it's really easy for one of us to say to the other, you made some bad purchases or, you know, you didn't do this right. And so we just avoid that type of language and instead we'll say like, okay, we've had some struggles there. How are we going to go forward on this together? <laughs> right? And so we make it really an important rule that the business can fail. I don't want it to, I would be sick if it did, but the marriage cannot fail. So the marriage always takes priority over the business. And so we have just worked that way over the years. So anytime that we get into a conflict and a struggle. Sometimes we'll say, let's take a couple of minutes and come back later. Or maybe one of us will say, let's sit down and write out some possible solutions to the problem. <laughs> and that just kind of refocuses us a little bit as well.
0: So you're focused on the solution rather than the problem. And then you're, it's okay to make mistakes with your spouse.
1: Absolutely. We have made so many mistakes. We've tried different businesses in the past, and those those have been good income streams for us at the time. Uh, for a while, uh, my wife was running a internet marketing business and that was, it was actually pretty nice. That was nice to have that as an income stream. We've never been trying to just put all of our eggs into the Amazon basket. We've never wanted to be 100% dependent on Amazon. So so we don't have as big a numbers as, as other sellers and we're fine with that. That's been our big part of our strategy is to say, let's have other things that we're uh, working on that we're going to also bring in income. But with that internet marketing business, at one point it was, Sue was really, she was tired all the time. She was running around a lot doing different things because she had to have face-to-face meetings with uh, clients and such. And so we kind of had to have a hard conversation and she was really coming to the conclusion. It wasn't just me saying, you need to quit this. It was, you know, she was coming to the conclusion as well. And so we just sat down together and kind of a little bit coldly, like not all emotional or whatever, but just saying, should we continue this on or not? And we decided not to. And so that was kind of an example of how we decided to work together as a couple and tackle the issue together. And we also have what we call the veto power, either one of us. So that means that like if we're getting ready to make a big decision, not all the little bitty decisions, but a big decision like you know, ending a certain income stream or starting a new income stream or or taking out a business loan or something like that, something that would be big and impactful for us. Uh, We both have to be in agreement on it. So if one of us is like, I don't really want to do that yet, then we just don't do it. And the other one is needs to be okay with that. And so that's kind of how we work together in all these different situations that come up because conflict will come up, I guarantee it.
0: (laughs) So it's important to prioritize your marriage over the business, as you mentioned. And then you know you, you both have equal say, and you have the veto power, as you mentioned. And that that's very unique for business relationship, because usually it's like how much share do you own, right, in the business, like for other yeah. types of businesses. And then um, I have another question. I'm wondering for your mindset. I heard in another interview that you talk about being a good tenant. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? What does that mean for the Amazon business? You know, being a good tenant for the parable.
1: Yes. Oh, very good. Yeah. Um, so mindset is so crucial for anything that we do in life but you know definitely for being a business owner and i will just admit that at the beginning i did not have the right mindset for example i just wanted to do the business all by myself or just my family right i didn't want to include anybody and that was partially because of my past experience that you know whenever you're in a work environment and you know all those negatives those things that happen you know the more people you have in the business there's a possibility of conflict and things like that so I just wanted it just to be us. And that was a mindset that was very limited. It didn't allow our business to grow. And at some point, I mean, it took me a long time to be honest with you. Matter of fact, in 2018, I said I went full-time in 2013. We had outsourced some things by 2018, but not nearly enough. So whenever I got sick and I couldn't do the business, our business, that was one of the big factors, one of the reasons that the business went down so much. And so it was really 2019 and beyond that we've really worked on expanding out our team. So that's just one example. But yeah, there's the biblical example of the talents where um, one person is given one talent, one's given two and one's given five. And then the person with five doubled his investment. And so he went from five to 10. The person with two doubled his investment went from two to four. The person with one was so afraid that he was gonna lose it that he actually buried it in the ground. And so then, whenever the boss came back and said, What did each of you do with that? The person with 10, he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with a little, and I'll give you more, more reward. The person with two, you think, Well, they only came back with four, but they doubled it. And again, the boss there said, Well done, good and faithful servant. But the person who had won, the boss actually called that person wicked and lazy well, because harsh. they were so. That was harsh. Yeah. That must have stung, you know, but even if he would have turned that one into two that or even one into one and a half, I'm convinced that he would have gotten a reward for that. And so kind of the lesson there is whatever you have, utilize that to the best of your ability and work on increasing that, whether that's doubling it or not. Like in your business, you can definitely, you know, double and triple and quadruple your business in this industry with no problem. If you just give it enough time. But the whole thing here is don't just hold back stuff. You know, if you've got $600 to invest like what we did, then put the $600 into it and do the best you can with that. If you've got more, fantastic. Your time frame of scaling is going to be a lot less. So the the point, though, is just in your mindset to always be thinking, how can I grow this business? What are the bottlenecks on the business? Every time I ask myself that question, I figure out that I'm the bottleneck. Because I'm not, you know, I want to control things too much. I need to release it more. I need to outsource it more. I need to maybe hire somebody to help me with this part of the business that is kind of holding us back a little bit. So, yeah, I wish I would have known more about the whole mindset thing, you know, back in 2012 and 2013 when we were really trying to build this business. Because I've really just started learning more and more about it in the last, uh, say, three or four years.
0: Thanks, Larry, for sharing that. Is there anything else? you want to share with our audience?
1: Yeah, I would just say, always be learning. Always be learning. You know, here I am. I've been selling full-time on Amazon since 2013. I have literally coached hundreds of students now through the Jim Cochrane coaching program. Sometimes I've had people say to me like, well, you're the expert. You know, you know everything about this. And I just laugh. I'm like, I'm, I'm not the the expert. You know, I do know a lot more than other people because of my experience. That is true. And I am able to coach other people and help them to build their business. But I am constantly watching trainings. You know, if somebody else is doing a sourcing training, I'm going to watch it because I'm going to learn something new there. And so whether you're new or intermediate or more advanced, I just encourage you to always be learning about this business. Always be open-minded to try new things and to advance your business and try to scale the business and get it to the next level. It's just really, really important.
0: Yeah, you and on learning. top.
1: Yeah. You you keep learning. It's good for you. <laughs> uh, that whole process is good for your your mind to so keep you learning and everything. But you know, if you get to the point where you think you know it all, then you're gonna be probably in a lot of trouble with this business because among other things, things change nonstop.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's constantly changing. I got a few rapid fire questions, you know, just for our audience to get you know a little better. I know we didn't discuss this before, but I just want to ask you simple yes or no question. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. All right. Morning or evening? Evening. A night out or night in?
1: Probably a night in. Big lots or Walmart? I like them both. Uh, Walmart primarily. Driving or flying? Driving, definitely. Sports car or SUV? (laughs) SUV for my stage of life. (laughs) Summer or winter? Summer. Absolutely summer. FBA or FBM? FBA.
0: Amazon Automated Repricer or Be cool Repricer?
1: Oh, definitely Bequel cool Repricer.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Larry. Thanks for your time today. And one last thing, for all our audience out there, you've seen some of the coaching that Larry's done. Larry is a seller. He's been doing this full time for 12 years. He's coached hundreds of students. So if you want to get coaching from Larry, go to jimcockrumcoaching.com and ask for Larry and Sue. And also make sure to attend the Proven Conference in August twelfth to fourteenth. So you can actually meet Larry and Sue and also hear for what they have to say. They have a lot of great coaching tips. So check it out. Thanks guys. Thanks, Larry.
1: Thanks a lot, Samuel. I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun.
0: We hope Larry's story resonates with you and inspires you. He started with only $600 US to invest in his inventory and now he could even hire his kids and other employees, turning this into a family business. He is now spending a good amount of time with his family while providing everyone financial security by running his own business. We believe that good tools and efforts pay off just like Larry. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channel for more Amazon knowledge and inspirational interviews from Amazon top sellers. We're Bequel. We keep innovating to help you stay cool with your Amazon business. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to stay connected with our weekly new episodes, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, follow us on Spotify or any other streaming platform you prefer. Let's continue our journey to become the next Amazon top seller.